I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm a managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Thomas Matt Court. How you doing? Very well. Well, it's a busy week in uh, Duck Athletics. Um, perhaps most importantly, the men's golf team just dominated the Bandon Dunes Championship, including uh, Owen Averett birdieing uh, three of his final four holes to uh, win on a personal level. Um, that's the backyard course uh, for the golf teams. Um, so really important to dominate, uh, Slurms, what did you think about this victory? Yeah, well, you know, a win is a win is what it comes down to. And they, and they do tend to play well at Bandon Dunes, just as they do, um, as the, I think the women also play a tournament at, uh, at Eugene country club. So it's not, not a surprise. I mean, you, you would almost expect, uh, your players to to do well locally, but you know, honestly, Bandon Dunes is a tough layout, and oh, I, and it's a tough place to play too. Yeah, if the weather, oh yeah, you know, if the weather is oh, not just brutal, favorable, um, you can run into lots of problems. But of All course, right, everybody has to deal. No, with that's it. it. I can't. I can't take it anymore. Um, <laughs> Uh, the ladies will Too be handing down analysis. to the King Invitational at Arizona State, uh, I think, next week. Um, it actually is a pretty busy time for Oregon Athletics. Um, uh, acrobatic and tumbling took on Baylor. Um, uh, tennis, um, men's and women's. Um, uh, 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 men uh, had the ASU Invitational. Um, they're taking on um, Texas Tech and BYU uh, later on. The women are taking on Colorado and Utah. Um, women's lacrosse take on uh, Cal and Stanford um, later on. Uh, they're going down and they're going to take on um, Arizona State and then uh, USC um, in a swing down to the southern part of the conference. Um uh, track and field just finished up the indoor uh, championships where the women did okay. Uh, the men did terribly. Um, uh, they have the Oregon preview uh, this coming weekend. Uh, beach volleyball um, has the San Jose uh, 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 tournament. Um, uh, beach volleyball is interesting because apparently the Pac-12 is like the greatest conference in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and, and plus Hawaii, like the, the, every team that they've played is a ranked team, um, because the PAC 12 is incredible. And then like their out of conference has been Hawaii, um, which is also a ranked team. And so it's like kind of, and so Oregon has gotten smoked by all of them, but like, they're all incredible teams. Um, and like the one out of conference team that they beat is Texas, which is another power five team. So it's like, maybe Oregon is actually like just the 26th best team in the country. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Texas at least has beaches. I mean, you're not playing a lot of beach volleyball in Minnesota this time of year. So yeah, beats me. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah, actually, um, very busy time for, for Oregon athletics and we're, we're stretching out and trying to, to cover as much as we possibly can. Um, uh, basketball has sort of been on a break, um, uh, before, uh, the various tournaments, uh, are starting. Um, the men accepted an invitation to the, uh, the, the NIT, they will, uh, start out, um, in a rematch of all things against UC Irvine, um, tomorrow night, Wednesday night on, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night, um, against UC Irvine. Uh, the Anteaters actually beat Oregon uh, uh, in one of the first games of the year. Um, Oregon was very healthy in that game, but then they're not very healthy uh, in this game. Uh, it was announced today that uh, Will Richardson is probably going to miss the entire uh, postseason um, with a hip injury. Um, looks like uh, uh, Kuznard um, is going to miss at least this game um, and maybe a couple more with another with his injury. Uh, and Folly Dante has got an ankle thing that's bothering him. Rigsby is out for the rest of the year. Um, uh, looks like Keyshawn Bartholomew is the only guy who can handle the ball. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see about that. Um, and then, uh, the ladies accepted a, uh, women's NIT bid. They will play on Friday the 17th, um, against North Dakota state. Um, so we'll be covering, um, uh, 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 both basketball teams when they swing into action. And we'll talk about them on the podcast next week. Um, but uh, for this week, uh, we're going to talk about the Diamond Ducks. Uh, so for the first segment, let's talk some baseball. Um, uh, the Oregon baseball team took on uh, UCLA last weekend. Um, they won the first game um, in actually fairly commanding fashion. Um, it was, a, it was a, a pretty good game. Um and uh, and UCLA is a pretty good team. You know, it was, uh, it was uh, they're the thirteenth. UCLA is the thirteenth ranked team. Um, I don't think Oregon was ranked uh, at the time. Um, I think they're probably due for ranking. Uh, Oregon's an okay team. Um, the second game was weird. UCLA got out to an, a pretty big early lead, and then Oregon in the bottom of the ninth made this furious rally and almost got it like they almost pulled off um the tie but then couldn't quite so they wound up dropping that game uh seven to eight um and then oh my god they just got creamed uh on the the sunday the rubber match game uh zero to 16 um that was one where it, it actually wasn't as bad as it looked until the very end in which like ucla i think hit some grand slams or something, you know, was, there was a grand slam. And I think another grand slam. And then it was like, <laughs> Oh my God, something terrible is happening right now. Um, uh, yeah. So, so that was bad. And, and, and Oregon just couldn't like do any, like the bats were just totally malfunctioning. Um, what was, uh, what was your takeaway from, from the UCLA, uh, uh, uh series storms? I think, uh, you know, over the course of the games, UCLA pitchers anyway, figured out Oregon's hitters and they've obviously they uh, they managed to shut them down aside from that one late inning in the second game where Oregon hit three home runs in a row for four total runs yeah um, even that game was not a very good offensive game uh, at the plate for the ducks and then of course they've got blanked in the third one so going through the lineup a couple of times, you know, several times, three times in the first game. And then um, thereafter UCLA pitching staff and, or the, the players figured out how to pitch to Oregon batters and, and just kept them off base. And you can't, you know, I mean, you can score, you can score a run if you can hit a homer, but if you can't string together some hits, 
uh, it's tough to score anything. And I, you know, I was disappointed. I was surprised and disappointed in the batting because they looked great. They, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't world beaters in the first game. They scored six runs, but their defense and pitching was outstanding in the first game. And then um, really neither, neither of the things worked very well for the rest of the series, except that one explosive inning that they had late in game two. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. And I mean, in the blowout in the, in the third game, I mean, Oregon had three hits in the yeah. entire game yeah. and, and two of them were from Jacob Walsh. Like they weren't even spread out. Um, like it was just, I mean, it was pathetic. Uh, like, you know, like, you know, hats off to UCLA's pitching staff because like they just had Oregon completely controlled. Um, and, and we'll have to see how that goes. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting that uh, that UCLA did see, you know, I don't know, man, like you, you made an interesting argument that uh, uh, that actually UCLA's pitching was on top of Oregon the entire way. Um, and uh, I'm not sure I read it uh, uh, that way, you know, like. You, you don't hit home runs off of uh, pitchers who have you figured out, you know, like, yeah. you know, those don't happen accidentally, um, y- you know, uh, but on the other hand, you know, let's look at the, you know, the reverse of it, you know, like when UCLA put 16 runs up on Oregon, it's, you know, yeah, there's a home run in there. There is a grand slam that happens in the fifth inning um, for UCLA. But I was lying when I said there was a bunch of grand slams in this game. There wasn't. There <laughs> it was just one. Felt that way. <laughs> you know, it, but it's a bunch of singles. You know, yeah, like right. you know, it's single after single after single after single after single. You know, UCLA puts up 13 hits. You know, like that's. And I mean, that was the thing that was. You know, honestly, up until th- this game, like literally the most recent um, game that Oregon baseball played. Uh, um, uh, uh, well, and, uh, until tomorrow's game until Ni- against Niagara, um, uh, you know, I, the thing that was really encouraging was that Oregon was willing to rotate through a bunch of very young pitchers, like guys who I'd never seen before, you know, yep. I was like still learning all of their names. Um, and like, I was really like encouraged by the size and confidence in, you know, o- Oregon's bullpen and UCLA by, you know, the, by the third game had them figured out because like they were pretty effortlessly, you know, and it didn't matter which pitcher they were, were face facing, you know, like pretty efforts effortlessly and like early in the count too. That's the other thing, you know, it was fairly early in the count that they were, you know, dinging into, um, Mm -hmm. you know, into the outfield. Um, so like, yeah, that wasn't fun to watch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I don't know, like, you know, that can happen in baseball, you know, maybe it's just sort of a one-off game or whatever, but like the sort of the nice thing about college, you know, as opposed to watching the pros is that like you get these, th- you know, these three game series. And so you can sort of like, you get an expanded data set. you know, it's not just nine innings, it's 27 innings, um, uh, against the same team in similar conditions in the same ballpark with basically the same, you know, the, the same lineups. Um, and like, 
Yeah, man. I mean, my my theory is, you know, UCLA figured out Oregon's uh, pitching um, and and Oregon's pitching lost its ability to control UCLA's batting. You know, like that's mm-hmm. that's how this reads. You know, it, it reads like UCLA outcoached and outplayed Oregon as time went on and not the other way around, which makes me feel bad as an Oregon fan. Like, I, I don't know how you read that any other way. Um, no, that's what it looks like. If you just look at the scores, that's what, I mean, it, it you know, you got one game f- for Oregon and then a, what appears at least on the scoreboard to be a pretty even game and then a blowout in, in that order. And it does, it, but I, I'm going to, yeah, but I mean, so, even that second game isn't right. an even game. No, it's not really. It's, it starts as a UCLA blowout and then it's a furious ninth inning. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, that game is, that game is eight to two, um, in the, in the, at the, in the middle of the ninth. Yes. Yeah. And Oregon was down to their last out. Yeah. When they, when they scored a bunch of runs. So, um, it wasn't, if you just look at the score, it looks like, oh, wow, that was a nice, you know, close closely fought game but it's one it's six it's six to zero in the middle of the fifth you know like yeah um, that's why they play nine but still you know yeah i I think there's there's a lot of good things to take and i completely agree with what you said about the pitching staff especially the younger pitchers that oregon has they're getting them a ton of good they got them a lot of, of innings in the preseason before the conference and they're continuing to give them innings uh, in important games and that can do nothing but help them in the long run. They'll either step up to it or they'll find that it overwhelms them and hopefully they'll be able to step up to it. Well, curiously enough um, uh, at this point, anyway, UCLA is the only ranked team on Oregon's schedule. Um <laughs> Because uh, uh, bizarrely, Oregon State is not ranked this year, or at least not at this point. Washington State actually just beat them. Um, yeah. And Washington State is Oregon's next um, uh, conference opponent. After they take on uh, Niagara in the midweek uh, game, they travel up to Pullman for their weekend series. Um, after they finish that, uh, their next uh, series is a, a four-gamer um, with a, a doubleheader on Saturday against Northwestern State. Um, which I recently learned is in, uh, I think, Nacogdoches, uh, Louisiana, of which Ed Ogeron, the football coach, is an alum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, 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 and, and then, uh, yeah, at least as I'm uh, reading it, no ranked teams in the Pac-12 this year. Um, well, I don't see how they're going to keep, you know, like Arizona, I don't know how they're going to keep Arizona out if they, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in their future schedule, but you know, they're 12 and three overall and undefeated yeah. in the conference. So, uh, you know, at some point I would guess other PAC 12 teams will sneak into those rankings sure. and, and Oregon's got a chance to be one of them. If they yeah, can, honestly, you know, I mean, it. honestly, UCLA might just be a really good team and, and getting yeah. a win against them might wind up being like, Hey man, a they big got deal. a yeah. win. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, that's so a we'll quality, so we'll a quality win. win that, yeah, I, th- this this may wind up feeling like you know a, a better thing than it does right now. You know, later on, uh, we'll 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 see. Um, all right, uh, uh, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll talk some softball. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So uh, the uh, softball team traveled up to Seattle um, to uh, uh, first take on the University of Washington Huskies uh, in a three-game series, and then they stayed on an extra day on Monday to take on the uh, universe, uh, Seattle University. Uh, um, uh, they had a happy time against the private uh, university. They uh, they walloped them nine to zero, um, and and actually mercy ruled them, um, which was great for Stevie Hansen because. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, she was looking pretty shaky, actually. You know, we've been talking for a, a long while now about like, you know, let's throw a ticker tape parade for Stevie Hansen. She's the <laughs> ace. Um, and uh, Washington made her look uh, quite the opposite. Um, what, what was your or is your sort of faith in Stevie Hansen rattled at all by this weekend? What do you think? I, you know, it was a, a bizarre experience to watch her uh, up at Washington because you know, she had problems last year with, um, you know, she would just get in these slumps pitching and she'd end up giving mm-hmm. up tons of hits and or runs or whatever. But, but um, a lot of the times, and, and you the, know, we'd see that and we'd sort of say like, you know, there is this, not to make excuses for something, but, it, but like it, it was difficult to say whether or not that was a slump or just the fact that she had no relief, you know, like, right. and so yeah, it was difficult just, to analyze more, whether that, how much that was her and how much that was on the bullpen. Yeah, soft, um, and it didn't are, seem like that was operational here. No, and and softball pitchers are, are notorious for being able to pitch, you know, thirty innings a day or whatever they end up having to do in some of these tournaments they play in. But it, last year the pressure would have been different on her because she did not have anybody in the bullpen that the team could have had a bunch of confidence in to come in in relief and shut down a, a rally by the other team. This year, they've got a much deeper and more talented uh, group, total group of pitchers. And the, the odd thing about it was uh, in this Washington series in the second game, which the Ducks ended up losing 13 to eight, they used four different pitchers and nobody could get any traction yeah. Uh, against the Huskies. Including, and they're willing to, which like, I, I like that they're in a vacuum anyway. Um, I like that they are willing to use Hanson as middle relief. You know, they're not uh-huh. just using her as a starter and then putting in Breedlove or, or, or Scott or whomever as, um, as her reliever. You know, they use, they use um, each of the pitchers as relievers for one another, you know, yes. rather than designating you're the starter, you're the middle relief, you're the closer. Um, like, uh, you know, I dig that. It's just that like, it didn't matter. It didn't no. matter who they were putting in front of, uh, uh, of the plate for the Huskies. The Huskies were ding. Now th- to be fair, the opposite was also true. Like yes. nobody could stop. Like, I mean, every one of these games, it was, you know, it was eight to six in Oregon's favor the first game, which was a great game. I mean, yes. it was great because Oregon won, but yeah. it was also super like that was one where it was knotted up at four Washington goes up and then Oregon rallies and keeps pouring it on. And then in the, you know, in the bottom of the, of the seventh, you know, Washington threatens, you know, they get a run and they threaten to like 
you know, they have the, the, the go ahead batter at the plate. Who's a real slugger. And then, um, Oregon pull, you know, uh, uh, puts in the closer and just fans her. Mm-hmm. strikes her out swinging uh yeah, it was nice. great like it was yeah. super exciting like g- great finish you know it was great i was just like oh man oregon's gonna sweep the huskies this is gonna be great too and it didn't go that way <laughs> um quite. and it and and in no small part it didn't go that way because stevie hansen you know just left you know a lone lazy pitch over the plate and and washington knocked it out of the park for a three-run homer it was like oh my god um yeah. That, it's you know, so that game it, ends hit. eight to 13 and then the third game ends seven to nine. So like there was no defense in any, and, and not just, yeah. like, and I don't mean like no defense in terms of fielding, although there was like a curious number of fielding errors in this series. I think sort of weather conditions played a little bit of a part yes. in this, but I just mean like the pitching, it was just like not, none of the pitchers for either of the staffs had any advantage here. It was totally a batter's um, just field day for the entire weekend for both teams. Um, just like you had said before the, before the series, Hey, Oregon's going to score 23 runs against the Huskies this weekend. You'd be thinking, all right, you know, that's going to go great for them. But, but, uh, it, it was a, uh, definitely a hitters series and Oregon, Oregon hit the ball. Great. I mean, they had a lot of 21, uh, a lot of really good. Um, I got eight, eight and seven, which is just 23, but, um, Oh yeah, you're right. Sorry. But Oregon had, uh, you know, it's just the Huskies got, they just just a a little bit better. Right. I mean, exactly. So that, and that's going to happen, but it's, uh, they, they got to figure, and I don't know what this pitching thing is. I wish I understood it, what the problem was better, but you're right. You, the, what you said about the you know leaving a pitch over the plate like that is exactly right i mean you know some of the you know the players on the other team everybody can hit a home run but you know the ones that are really going to jump on something if you don't bring if you bring a a ball down the channel they're going to take you out you have to be able to move the ball around and get it to places where they can't get full extension and full turn on it. And there were a couple of times when you're watching, you're watching these pitches going, you're like, oh, here we go. Because it's, they're floating in there in a way, in a place. I know, man, it kind of didn't, like, I don't know if, maybe it had something to do with the cameras. I'm not sure. But, like, it kind of didn't look like any of the pitchers, either for Oregon or Washington, was bringing any heat this entire Mm -hmm. weekend. Like, Mm -hmm. it really looked like everything was capping out at, like, 50 miles an hour. Yeah, I didn't Um, see it. And I didn't see a pitch clock or anything. Yeah, I I didn't either. And I'm just guessing when I gave that number. Like, but, I like, it really looked like everybody was just sort of, Sort of like it looked like coach pitch, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> it looked like everyone. Let's see if you can hit this deer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it really looked like everyone was like trying to, you know, it looked like home home run derby stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was just you know, it was race to fifty stuff. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, and and just Washington sort of, you know, they hit more home runs than Oregon did, but like that was the contest. Um, I don't know. I get, you know, look, man, you sh- we should probably be happy that Oregon was hitting, you know, the bats were so alive. Cause I remember we were having this conversation on this podcast last year where, you know, I, I was a little worried that Oregon wasn't hitting enough long balls. Right. Uh, yeah. Was that, no, if, was that if, a concern for you in this series? Not, not particularly. <laughs> I mean, they did fine. I thought they did well at bat. I think if they go through the rest of their schedule and if, and if you said to me, okay, Oregon, we're going to posit that Oregon will average seven or eight runs a game. 
going forward through the rest of the yeah. 12 seasons. Oh, they'll never drop I a take, game, you know, I they'll never drop the a series at least. I, I mean, know, it they'll, does, win, it they'll win every series two or, yeah. or th- through to one or three to zero, you know? Yeah. And, and so I'm not, I'm not worried about that. It's the, you know, we, we have to figure out a way for the, for the team to keep. I mean, Washington was ranked number five. 10, you know, yeah, like maybe they just ran into a team that can hit the ball really well. I mean, they yeah. certainly hit the ball really well against Oregon, you know, like they did. And it was interesting. It's just that they're, they're you know, the next series is against Stanford was ranked number seven right. and Stanford right. also hits the ball. Pretty also a good, well. also um, a good club. And you know, it's, I, I was interested that Oregon actually moved up a little bit in, in one of the national rankings. I mean, they ought to, it's weekend. not like it was a terrible performance. No, exactly. Like, I mean, it, you know, again, you got one game that's two runs. I mean, frankly, Oregon was, was, was pr- frankly, probably underranked going into this. I think they were yeah. only ranked 21 and yeah. like given who they beat and given what their record was, 21 was kind of an insult um yeah yep so yeah well they get a chance again next weekend to you know to prove it against another quality and they, you know they play stanford at home um i you know i i you know if, if i were gonna bet i wouldn't bet on oregon to win this series you know they're going up against you know a top 10 opponent um right. But I wouldn't bet on them to get swept. You know, I think Oregon's probably going to win one of these games, and we'll just see if they can steal a second one. Um, yep. it, it should actually be pretty good. Um, I, I actually think of all the different sporting events uh, that you could take in for the Ducks uh, this coming weekend, and at the top of the podcast, I listed a whole bunch of them. Uh, I think this is the uh, I, I think this is the headliner. Uh, you should go uh, to Jane Sanders and, and take in a match. Um, it's it's definitely going to be a ranked matchup uh, against two very good softball teams. Uh, uh, Stanford and the Ducks. Um, uh, uh, first game's Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, second game Saturday at 2 p.m. Uh, last game's uh, Sunday at noon. Um, or we can catch them on uh, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, anything else before we go to break? No, I'm, I, like you, I'm looking forward to that Stanford series. I think it's going to tell a lot, and it'll be very entertaining, I suspect. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll talk a little football. So uh, I have uh, finished up my series uh, writing about new Oregon coaching uh, 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 staff members because they stopped hiring new coaching staff members and have started writing about the uh, new transfers uh, onto the team. Oregon brought in 10 transfers, at least so far. I think they're done. Um uh, I have acquired uh, film on eight of the dudes. I, I um, was not able to get film on two of them. Uh, one, because uh, he's like a backup cornerback at, at Alabama, um, uh, uh, Mr. Jackson. Um, and, and just like there's there's already very little film on cornerbacks. It's, it's really hard to get film on cornerbacks because they're doing their job right. Like the camera doesn't show them at broadcast angles. And if you're a backup cornerback, like forget it. Um <laughs> And the other, unfortunately, is is Mr. Cornelius from Rhode Island. It's because like they just don't show FCS games. Like it's just really impossible sure. to get that film. Like there's one game against Pitt um, that they played um, where actually Rhode Island did fairly well. The Pitt beat them, um, which you can find on YouTube if you want to watch. Like he did okay, but like it's one game you can watch it yourself um but the other eight dudes i was able to acquire film um and so i'm, I'm going to write five different articles it's five different position groups um the first one i wrote uh and published this morning uh is on uh, the one defensive uh end 
uh, guy that they got. His name's Jordan Birch. Uh, he transferred from South Carolina. Um, uh, Birch was a, a five star. Um, it's interesting because uh, uh, South Carolina is a um, is a four down uh, scheme. So he played, uh, you know, what in their system is a defensive end, and in their system, defensive ends play traditional defensive end duties, which is setting the edge uh, against the run, and, um, and and is their outside pass rusher. Um, in Oregon's system. Um, he wouldn't really be a defensive end because in Oregon's three down mint front system, defensive ends play inside the offensive tackle and they're big dudes. They're like, they're run pluggers. They, 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 they clog the B gaps. So I don't, I mean, I doubt it. I guess they could ask him to to bulk up and try to do that. But Oregon's got a bunch of those dudes, but what they don't have is a bunch of edge rushers. In fact, they only have one who's coming back with any experience at all. Mace Funa, um, everybody else transferred out or is, uh, uh, uh you know, uh, redshirted last year, uh, Anthony Jones and Amirian Winston, or is a true freshman who signed in the, the 2023 class. So like totally makes sense that they bring Birch in. Um, and, and it's probably, he's probably going to be the starting, you know, weeks side jack olb um and funa will probably retain his um strong side olb role um so uh uh um the thing that was really like uh jumped off the film about um uh, about birch and is gonna put everybody sleep instantly because nobody cares about this but like he is a really good um at setting the edge against the run um which is like it's the least say I, I put this in my article. It is like the least sexy job in football because unless the outside run goes in your direction, no one will notice you doing it. Um, and even if it does go your way, if you did your job properly, the back sees that you're doing your job and he then like checks out of running towards you and, and runs back inside. Um, because if you did your job properly, you're going to disengage from that tackle and, and and then go tackle that back for a loss or string you out or run you to the sideline or whatever. And the back knows that. And he's like, well, shoot, I better try to improvise, you know? Um, and, and so it's like, you're a deterrent um, against them. And, and the worst thing that you can do if you're supposed to set the edge is like, get too excited or get too deep, you know, like, like, get, you know, misread the play and think it's something else and like try to penetrate too deep into the backfield. Because if you do that and let the, te- the, the offensive tackle who's blocking you, like ride you deep into the backfield. Now you've opened up a gap for the back to run through. So you have to maintain your discipline. So I'm watching Jordan Birch who played as a true freshman and played as a red or well, uh, technically he was a redshirt freshman because 2020 was his first year and that was a holiday year. Um, but anyway, like I watched him play as a backup his first two years. Um, so he's very young. Um, and like most guys that, who are very talented, he was a five star at a high school who are very talented. They, but who, you know, play on the edge, like they have a hard time with this because they're like, they're because remember when they were in high school, they were the most talented dude in the field. They were the right. most talented dude for a hundred miles. And, and like, and, and when their team needed them to make a play to win the game and win the state championship or whatever, like that was the guy who was getting called on. And so asking him to be patient and just set the edge and not do too much and not, you know, go run 
into the backfield and make play and, you know, go woo woo, you know, and, and right. the train gesture or whatever. Like that's really hard. And, and that's what popped out on film was him not popping out on film. I realize how like backwards that sounds, but like it's what jumped out immediately was watching run play after run play after run play in which he's doing exactly his job, which is deterring the back from getting a big play to the outside by not screwing up and trying to do too much, which is like really hard, really hard to teach super talented dudes. And like, so yeah, that was really great. Um, <laughs> um, and, and there's other good aspects of it. It's tr- like, I tried to spice it up by including stuff like, um, if you're setting the edge and the, um, and the dude who's blocking, you won't let you go, then you can draw a holding flag, right? Um, because, and, and that'll really help out your team because that'll set the offense back 10 yards. And so I like any, anytime that happened, I tried to include that in my article. It's like, here, here's how you really help your team is like, throw your arms way up in the air and be like, ref, look, I'm being held, you know, like, so he does that as a freshman and he gets a flag against Florida. And that like, that takes four points off the board for Florida. Cause he was, he was a backup and he rotated into that drive late. Um, so it wasn't his fault. They were in the red zone, but it was his to his credit that Florida only got three points on his drive on that drive instead of seven. Uh, so that was cool. Um, and I like it, you know, I tried to make that as sexy as I can, like all the different ways that he, he effectively stopped runs, um, you know, uh, rushing plays by the opponents, even though that is like n- college football fans don't care <laughs> like at <Yeah>. all <laughs> about it. But it was like to, to the film reviewers and like, it was nice because like there are some like coaches and other like people who are like film study nerds who like read my stuff and see it on Twitter and whatever, who are like, look, I know that all of y'all want to talk about the, the pass rush stuff, but like, this is what I really dig is the edge sitting. I'm like, I know, man, like I'm super nerdy about it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think duck, you know, duck fans can probably appreciate a, a guy in that position who doesn't become overly aggressive and overrun plays all yeah. the time. We've seen tons of that. Yes, uh, we the have. last couple of seasons, and yeah, uh, you know, it's great, it's spectacular, and great when it works. But too many times, you're out of position. Yeah. It's the quickest way to hurt your team is get yourself out of position. And, and it's not just again, stopping the run too. It's also stuff like that's how you get yourself up. You turn something that ought to be a sack or just an, an incompletion or Mm -hmm. where the, where the quarterback throws the ball away or the, the running back just takes a, you know, like, Oh shoot, the play's not here. Well, I'll just, you know, take a two yard run or we'll live to fight another down, you know, whatever, like take a boring play and and where the offense then breaks something big that happens because the defense, you know, their eyes get too big. And so, and you, and you see it over and over again. And so I know it's not sexy, but a guy who, whose eyes never gets too big, like, yeah, you want that. And, and so like reviewing three years of film on a guy, and never, I mean, like never, I never saw his eyes get too big. And here's the other thing. I never saw him draw a penalty flag. Yeah. I mean, in the bad way I yeah, did see stood, him. That stood out as well. That's the other side of what you talked about, how he's good at drawing penalties. Yeah. Like, but like, he doesn't get, give like, him up. 
doing the right thing so that the uh, offense would be penalized, but never doing the wrong thing so that his team would be penalized. So like he would pull up just at the last second to avoid roughing the passer flags over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many times I, I like I could have done like three whole videos of him making contact with the quarterback, demonstrably affecting the play so that it was defensive win, you know, through an incomplete pass or, you know, otherwise, you know, affecting the play so that, you know, it, it was either incomplete or, you know, just a, a an unproductive play, but not getting a roughing the passer flag. And how many of those did you see last year or in previous yeah. years for Oregon where a very excitable certain player um, <laughs> or a couple different certain players would be like, woo, woo, and just like yeah. smoke that QB. And then, you know, the yellow hanky would come out, yep. right? And then yep. like, and oh, it was on third down. Yeah. And yeah, and, and and it extended the drive, you know, like as opposed to it being a punt and Oregon gets the ball, you know. Yeah. So like, yeah, that stuff is more important than you think. So like, I know that all of that didn't sound very sexy, but like, yeah, that's those sorts of things are the different X's and O's stuff, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, well, more like hidden stuff that like, those are the hidden Mm -hmm. things that like, you know, like it's not immediately obvious from looking at the box score, you know, but like, yeah, those are, you know, that's where extra possessions come from. So anyway, so all of that is sort of like, you know, I put under the intangible category, like polish and discipline and that sort of stuff. And let let, you know, like, yeah, you would expect that from getting out of a fourth year player, but uh, you know, it was just cool to see it, you know, from a guy that I was seeing from like, from day one. So, um, the other thing that I can say that was cool to watch, um, is that I think he has a full inventory of pass rush moves. Um, so like, uh, DJ Johnson last year, who was the primary guy that we were seeing, you know, as the weak side Jack OLB, um, like really only had one move, which was the bull rush. Now that bull rush was awesome because <laughs> that guy was, you know, like hits like a freight train, but that was it. He really didn't have any sort of like outside bend. Um, and he didn't really have much of like an inside swim move or spin move or, you know, um, you know, didn't really twist super effectively. Um, and like Birch has all of that, like he has outside moves, inside moves, bull rush moves. And, you know, I had, you know, clip compilations for all of these, like he can beat the tackle, you know, any which way. And on top of that, the other thing that I can say from watching the South Carolina film is that very curiously, and I actually pulled up a couple of different South Carolina forums um, that I have access to and, and went back and read some like South Carolina fans complaining about this is that like, they kind of, they, they liked their defensive staff as recruiters and in the structure of their defense, but they thought they were sort of boring play callers. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I got after watching that team. Like it, like they're, it's not that they didn't blitz often enough or that their blitzes were predictable or like when, when they blitzed, it was in obvious situations. They actually called blitzes in unpredictable situations. It's that the types of blitzes that they called, it was like, Oh, it's a double a gap blitz again. Like that was it. That was the only kind of blitz that they had was double a gap blitz or sometimes a cat blitz. Um, it was like the inventory of blitzes that South Carolina had was very limited. They had almost no forms of simulated pressures. Um, they they really didn't have any sort of like exotic blitzes. They had very few twists like, um, you know, rush forward twists, much less double twists. Um, 
um when they did it was always um te like i've i almost never saw et stunts um so yeah like the the it was uh like the just the pass rush inventory or you know um uh, schematically what they did for to allow birch to show off his full range of interior pass rush moves was very limited i just didn't have a very big sample for his interior pass rush moves because I think I forget what the number is. I think something like 91% of drop back pass plays um, that South Carolina faced. He was asked to do exactly the same pass rush move, which was the outside pass rush um, or the bull rush. Sorry. It was one of two things, the bull rush or the outside pass rush. Um, And so I had tons of fell on those, but I had very few on the inside moves. But like the inside moves that he showed me was like really good. He was successful in getting to the court, you know, hurrying or even sacking the quarterback on at, a, at an extremely high rate. And I was like, well, why don't you let him do that more often? Yeah. Gamecock defensive staff. But I, I didn't get to ask them that question. Um, they, they wouldn't talk to me. I, they refused every one of my interview requests. Incredible. Um, I How know. can they do it? I, the the snub is unconscionable. Um so, uh, uh, so yeah, that is definitely something where I think the change in scenery, um, coming from Columbia, South Carolina to Eugene, Oregon, um, may be beneficial for Birch because Oregon definitely does simulate pressures yeah. and they definitely do twists and they definitely do exotic blitzes and they definitely do lots of stuff where it's not just bull rush and outside pass rush moves. You know, he's, he's going to have opportunities to do, you know, inside swim moves and, and spins and other fun stuff. So. With all of that out of the way, um, and all of that like encouraging stuff, you know, from my article having been said, there is one last thing to say, which is if you were expecting Kayvon Thibodeau with his elite first step, you know, that that get off where he were like because you know, I was writing articles about the Kayvon Thibodeau for three years, and I would put film clips in my article where like if you paused it, you know, uh, uh five frames after the snap, and you could look at you know, okay. So there are two guys, right. You know, coming off the edge for Oregon. Um, there's Kayvon who's like his entire body is across the, the line of scrimmage. And the other guy who's like, his helmet is just crossing, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jordan Birch is the guy who looks like the other guy okay. in those videos. You know, he's, he's not the guy who looks like Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, he's, he's not the guy who looks like the guy with the elite first step. Um, in fact, it was kind of funny. And I mentioned this, in my article uh, against Texas A&M in 2022, I had nine different clips in which both Birch and the other South Carolina edge guy, both beat the offensive tackle. Like apparently Texas A&M's, um, offensive tackles in 2022 were both very beatable around the edge. Um, and so it was like, it was easy to compare, you know, <laughs> it was like, yeah. and, and they weren't, and they didn't both line up, you know, it wasn't like Birch was always on the right and the other guy was always on the left, you know, it was, you know, they would flip. Um, so it's like, I've got plenty of clips where, you know, that they, they're both beating the tackle, their, their tackle, but the other guy touches the quarterback and Birch is a step away from the quarterback, you know, like that's, you know, I'm sorry guys. Like it just doesn't appear like he has 
that elite first step. Like he still does other good things that contribute to sacks and contribute to hurries and contribute to negative plays for the offense. Um, but in you know, if you just look up his raw stat line, you're like, this guy has five sacks in three years. Like that. Well, that's why, um, or at least so much, that's why so far, how much more, uh, is that going to hurt him if they move him to Jack linebacker? Does he does he need to improve his speed to be effective at that position? Well, effective I mean, more speed is always good, but I, the there are a number of reasons to believe that this. I, I okay, number one, not the end of the world. There are a, a hundred reasons that the, he's he's great at everything the that you would ask for and pretty good at the pass rush, even the outside pass rush. Like I said, he was still beating those Texas A&M guys and everybody else that he faced around the edge and still hurrying the quarterback and tipping the ball and getting them in the face like, you know, the sack is not. You know, it's not like you have to sack the quarterback in order right. to be an effective pass rusher. Sacks are great, but, you know, it's not like, well, if you're not getting sacks, you're losing football games, you know, like that. That's that, you know, number two, there are reasons to believe that his sack numbers will be better in Eugene. Um, one of them is, like I said, the South Carolina staff was a pretty vanilla pass rush mm -hmm. approach in Oregon, I think will be less vanilla. And I think that will be to his benefit. Um, in, and number two is I think that he was bulked up a little bit more, um, than is because, um, because he needed to be a defensive end in a, like a traditional defensive end in a four down front. Whereas I think that in with Oregon's three down mint front where the, the defensive end run stoppers um, are big guys who are not him. And he's just an edge setter. Um, and, uh, and his job is more focused on being the pass rusher um, that I think that'll enable him and I think he will actively be encouraged to slim down. So his most recent listing on the South Carolina website is 275 pounds. And just watching film on him, it was pretty clear that he was, I think, between his um, true freshman season in 2020 and his um, junior year in 2022, I would say that it looked like he put on a, between 10 and 15 pounds. Okay. Um, like it definitely, like definitely in his trunk, it definitely looked like he was carrying more, um, mass to me. Um, it didn't look like bad weight or anything, but it definitely just looked like more mass and more mass means more difficulty accelerating. Yes. Um, so I expect he's going to be asked to slim down a little bit. I think that he's probably going to, I, I think his ideal playing weight as a weak side, it will be in this mint system is probably more like 265 to 260. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think just naturally, if you don't have to bring an extra 10 to 15 pounds to, you know, to top speed, then just naturally you're going to speed up. Like I, I go back, right. this is freshman year physics, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I shouldn't have to belabor this. Uh, <laughs> so like, yeah, I, I think that he'll probably be able to speed up a little bit you know, for that reason. Um, the other thing is, um, 
he wasn't really allowed to rotate that much in 2022 um, because they needed to have two defensive. That's the nature of a four down front. They needed to have two defensive ends on the field and his they rotated the other defensive end spot, but they clearly didn't trust anybody to rotate at Birch's spot um, at South Carolina. Um, in 2022. So he was playing like something like 85% of, of meaningful snaps that I charted, wow. which is a lot. Yeah. I think at Oregon, um, even though like, uh, you, you know, they're thin at outside linebacker, I, they're very talented at outside linebacker. Like all of those, um, redshirt freshmen and true freshmen are very, very talented. Um, and they only need one of them. They only need one weak outside line, weak, weak side outside linebacker on the field. So like, I think there's a possibility that he's only going to be playing something like 70% of snaps. And so he could be getting a little more of a break and a little more rest. So those are all reasons to believe that he could pick up a little more, um, you know, get off uh, speed. Mm -hmm. And so that could improve his sack number as well. Um, Now, everything that I just said is pure speculation. Like, I mean, I have no way of of proving any of those things you know are the case but there are good reasons to believe that those things you know may be the case but even if none of them are the case uh, i think having completed this project on jordan birch i still think he's an upgrade over what oregon's past our situation was last year um so yeah, great. I, I was I was pretty happy with what I got. So even though, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of having done this project, I don't think Oregon, even though Oregon got a five star and a very experienced five star, I don't think they're getting cave on Thibodeau. I don't think it's reasonable mm-hmm. to expect they're getting no. the next cave on Thibodeau. Um, yeah. Like, I think they're getting the next best thing to be to be honest. I'm pretty pleased um, with what they're getting. Um, in, in Jordan Birch, I think there's a reason why South Carolina fans were pretty upset, uh, when he bailed on him. Um, and, uh, I'm looking forward to April 29th, which is the spring game, um, and, and seeing how he does. Yeah, it looks, uh, you know, looking through this, it also looks like he has a pretty high football IQ as far as play recognition. I would definitely, I definitely you know, endorse that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I was really impressed by his polish. Um, and, and at a young age, I mean, I can't stress yeah. that enough. Like, you know, I was watching him as a true freshman, uh, you know, in 2020, like, y- you know, and I mean, look, he's going to be playing as a senior, you know, in 2023. So like, I, I guess the, that ought to be a moot point because you'd expect that to be the case as a senior, but like, it was just cool to see, man, you know, like yeah. guy knows what he's doing and right. like, man, I can't tell you how many like five star played as a true freshman hotheads, especially on defense. I've seen over the years, hell, you know, Oregon yeah. uh, fans had, have seen quite a few share. very recently, uh, yeah. haven't they? Um, and it was very refreshing to see uh, quite the opposite. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, uh, uh, it's uh, certainly been a, a lively week uh, in Oregon sports, um, and uh, I'm just getting started talking about these transfers. Uh, I'm uh, next up is uh, well, it's going to be the offensive lineman, but like I said, I, I've only got tape on one of them, uh, which is a uh, uh, junior Angelau, um from Texas uh, who played a, 
uh, for three seasons, 2019, uh, his redshirt freshman year through 2021. And then he got um, uh, injured in 2022. So he set that one out. Uh, He's an interior guard. Uh, So I'm getting started on that one. I'll have that one published next week. So we'll talk about that then. uh, we'll talk about the uh, the basketball performance of the NIT. Um, but until then, do you have any parting words of wisdom for us? Just looking to uh, looking forward actually to next uh, weekend softball match. I'm planning on trying to get down there for at least the Saturday game, and of course, I hope to be able to greet all the ATQ fans who are in the stands that day. Uh, well, it looks like you know there's a going to be a little bit of a sunbreak uh, at least on Friday. Um, it might be raining a little bit uh, in Jane Sanders on uh, Saturday and Sunday, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>